like how you put the qualification in and, you know, you uh, drop off your kids and then you have to go on a date with your spouse. Uh, so we're, we're not advocating anybody else but the spouse. We're not going to support, like, going out with your, you know, okay, I got it. Never mind. That's just my weird mind at work. I just... I don't know, never mind. Uh, hey, we're starting a new series uh, today called His Name Is, and uh, it comes out, we're going to go through the names in Isaiah uh, chapter 9 and 7, but today we're actually going to do some backfilling of the story and trying to understand uh, the power that is in a name. Um, in our Western culture, uh, a lot of times that 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 power or that significance in a name is lost on us. Uh, we don't, we don't uh, value names like they do uh, uh, in the Middle East and especially in the uh, ancient Near East when, when Scripture was written. And uh, uh, the Jewish uh, culture uh, takes you know, very high value in what they name people, and, and uh, in that, when they name somebody, it's not just merely uh, a, a name as far as, you know, like we would name something as an object, like this is a stool. Um, like we all agree that this is a, a stool, and that's what we call it. But really, if we all agreed it was a pigeon, and that was what we were going to call it, then it, would be, it wouldn't make any difference. It's just a couple of... Uh, a few were or letters put together, some syllables put together, but it's really arbitrary and it really doesn't mean anything more than that. But that's not true in the in the ancient Near East and, and in the Jewish uh, in Jewish culture that the names have great great significance. And uh, I've been studying about names and, and and learning all about that and a whole bunch of different kinds of cool stuff and and. Knowing that I come from a Jewish heritage and uh, my mom went to Hebrew school and, and uh, her whole side of the family um, are Jewish, I, I started thinking about my name and uh, my mom actually spent the, the night last night and she got up and I was sitting by the fire just studying and, and thinking about this and she, you know, she came over and gave me a kiss on the head and said, good morning, Mark, and you know, would you like some tea? And I'm like, no, I'm American, I drink coffee. And, uh, you know, and, and, and she's all like, and I, she's, she's walking by, I go, hey, mom, you know, you never... You never told me the story of why you named me Mark. And she gets this like weird look on her face and she said, well, or well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I just, before I tell you the story, I want you to know that your dad and I love you very much and that you were, <laughs> you were wanted and, and, and I'm like, oh, great, you know, I, I'm thinking I'm going to get this great, you know, significant story that, that I'm going to get to share with you today, and, and uh, she said, the truth is that uh, we didn't have a name for you, and uh, uh, we thought if you were a girl, we were going to call you Leslie, and I was like, I'm glad they just didn't switch that over, no offense, Les, but... I don't know if I wanted to, you know, be a Leslie. So, so obviously, I, I wasn't born a girl, and um, 
Hopefully that's obvious, and <laughs> obviously not to the people over here, but it's true. Uh, and so, so I pop out, you know, and uh, my mom's holding me, and, and uh, they're like, hey, you know, what are we going to put on the birth certificate? And, you know, and she's like, I don't know, and she looks at my dad, and, and they're all like trying to figure it out. So my dad, I guess, has a piece of paper and quickly, you know, writes a, a couple of names, and, and she's just like, and just points to it, and, and, and that was my name. Now, I started thinking, was it actually the word Mark, or was it just some Mark on the page, and, and, and that was it. So, uh, so I was hoping to give you like this, you know, because Mark, uh, if you look at the meaning, it means mighty warrior, and I could just visualize my parents, you know, praying to God as, you know, my, you know, in month one and two, you know, give us the name and, and they land on this, you know, mighty warrior because they want their son to be on the front lines of battle and nothing like that, just whatever. <laughs> it, you know, who cares what his name is, you know, whatever. So I know, isn't it sad? I mean, that, now you're like, oh, that's why he's so messed up. You know, it's things like this. So, uh, but in our culture, a lot of times names are arbitrary, um, and they're they're it's not like it is in the in the Middle East or in the Jewish culture. And uh, I was starting to think, well, how how could we better understand this? Because to understand this series, we're going to have to understand the significance that that Jewish people put behind a name and that they have meaning and have power. And I thought the best way to illuminate this is actually to bring back the connexity question. Yay! <laughs> Boo! Yay! Just deal with it if you don't like it. And I was thinking, you know what? A lot of times names, uh, uh, especially when we were growing up, uh, like name calling, like, you know, they like, Mark Park, Walk in the Dark, you know, that kind of, that kind of stuff that, that it sticks with us. Not me, because I'm a well-adjusted human being. But, <laughs> but sometimes what we call people or people called us as, as, as kids, that, that those names, uh, they had power and they hurt. So this is what I'd like you to do, to uh, turn to somebody, preferably someone you don't know, dig up all these past hurts of what people have, have called you and share it with us so we can call you. No, well, that, uh, that, uh, that we'll have a better understanding of each other and kind of the power behind a name. Go for it.
All right, come on back, come on back. So we had some amazing ones in the first gathering. So uh, anybody like to, to share name calling when you were a kid? What were you called or what did you call someone else? Anybody like to weigh in on this? Over here. I didn't see the hand. Okay. They called me Beefy. Beefy? I was really fat. Oh, that's sad. It was my family. It was your family. It <laughs> yeah. It's always the family that does it to you. So, anybody else like to? Um, my last name is really long. It's Ohan Mamareni. Wow. <laughs> so, and I was a, kind of like a homesicky, you know, wanted to go home to mommy kid when I was little. So they used to call me Alina. Oh, I want my mommy instead of <laughs> Ohan Mamareni. I like it. I like it. That's good. Yeah, they used to, uh, my last name's Erky, it's German, and they used to call me Erky Turkey. Erky Jerky. This is like good therapy. Everybody's like getting this out. Unless, we, you know, <laughs> oh, you're going to just have to grab it. My maiden name was Dilde, and um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't very, yeah. Wow, okay. Last names, yeah. So anybody else like to weigh in on this? Here we go. Um, I I grew up during the height of the uh, the original Star Wars era, and uh, I had princess tacked in front of my name a lot. So you can probably tell what my first name is. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay. <laughs> well. Somebody said something not nice back there. I can tell by the laughter. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was thinking about this, and, and we used to call, there was a kid named Dallas in, in, our, in our school when we were little, little kids, and, and uh, Dallas always had like that crusty boogers around the, the nostril. It was so gross, but... And, and we used to call him Dallas Boogernose, and, and I was like thinking about how mean that was, and I'm like, I gotta like find that guy, like apologize to him, because, you know, I mean, these kind of things, they just, you know, these names, they, they hold power over us, and, and I mean, isn't it interesting, you know, even to this day, we remember these things that, that people called us, and uh, there, there's power in a name. We love to hear our names uh, said that, that there's something more significant in it than just a couple of letters or, or vowels uh, put together, or in your case, many letters and very vowels uh, put, to, put together. And I was like thinking about uh, how parents, uh, uh, especially in the ancient Near East and ancient times, would put all this thought into a name and, and all these hopes and dreams of what they hoped that child would become. And, uh, and then thinking about how God has a different vision sometimes uh, for our lives than, than uh, what the parents or what we were thinking. And I, I came up with five different times that God changes, changed somebody's name in the Bible. Uh, there was Abram, who God changed his name to Abraham. Uh, there was uh, Sari, who uh, God changed to Sarah. There was Jacob, who God changed his name to Israel. Remember Saul? 
He changed his name to Paul, uh, Simon to Peter, and Hosea to uh, Joshua. And uh, God did this for a, a reason to, to indicate that there was a new life, that there was a new direction, there was a new vision for this person's life, that he had different plans and he had moved them and, and, and essentially tattooed uh, this, this name, this permanent name on them now to say, you know what, he is a new creation, he is about my purpose now. Now, in order to really understand the rest of this series though, and to really understand scripture, I think a lot of times, why these name changes happened, is you, you got to kind of understand the culture that was surrounding uh, that time and, and what people looked and believed in a name. And there's a Jewish myth that I'm going to tell you today. This isn't a biblical thing, but this is a myth that, that is part of the Jewish culture, even to today, um, of, of a name and, and, and the power of a name. You see, in, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 or 28, uh, that God says, or, or Moses writes, that God created man and woman. And then it goes on and talks about how uh, they went, and na- that, that Adam named the animals, and then God rested, and, and all this. And then uh, a little longer into, into Scripture, it goes back and says that it's not good for man to be alone. And uh, you know the story, God puts Adam asleep and takes out a rib and uh, there is Eve. Now, because of just the linear nature, linear reading of this story, uh, a myth, a Jewish myth came out of, uh, the, of a story saying that there was a, another woman before Eve and her name was Lilith. And you may have heard of Lilith, but uh, if you haven't, let me tell you the story. Uh, Lilith was, was kind of a, a, an obstinate woman uh, that she uh, didn't like anybody to tell her what to do. She wanted to do whatever she wanted to do. And, and uh, she wanted power and she wanted to rule the, the Garden of Eden. And... Uh, she was trying to figure out how she could become more powerful than Adam and, and get away from him and kind of have her own kingdom. So she knew that, that uh, God, if she could find out his secret name, and in ancient Near East, gods uh, had secret names, that if she could find out his secret name, that, that she would get some power and she would be able to be more powerful than Adam. So... Uh, she put a plan in motion where she was essentially going to trick God uh, and wait for the right timing to, for him to reveal his name to her. And all this plan unfolds and it works and he tells her, her name. And as soon as he heard her name, she became powerful. And then when she spoke his name, she grew wings and she was able to fly away and she became actually the queen of the demons of the, of the underworld. And that's the, that's the Jewish myth of, of Lilith and the power that's in a name. Now, interesting enough, in Egypt, there was also uh, a myth or a, a legend about the power of names. The Egyptian god was Ra, and Ra was the, the sun god. 
And uh, Ra had a, a daughter named Isis who, who was a minor god, but she wanted to become a major god. So she devised a plan that, that she knew that Ra would rise in the east and, and go along the same path every day and set in the west. And she knew that sometimes uh, he, would, he would stop because he was old and feeble and stop and have a drink of water. And because he was old and feeble, his hands would shake and sometimes water would spill out and fall to earth. So one day when he was going across and he was drinking water that she collected some of this water, this, this God-infused kind of water. And uh, she made a, a, a cobra, a snake, out of of dirt and mud and clay and this water, and she placed it on the path where she knew Ra was going to be traveling the next day. And as Ra was coming across the path, he he came across the the statue of the snake, the the sculpture of the snake, and uh, he said the word cobra. He named it cobra. And because he was so powerful, the cobra came to life and it's slithering around and, and it's not behaving and it reels back and strikes and bites Ra. And Ra gets sick and uh, he can't heal himself because he didn't create the snake. Uh, Isis did. So he, he couldn't, he brought it to life, but he didn't create it. So he couldn't heal himself. So he's withering in pain and he, and he cries out to all the Egyptian gods to come to his, his aid and to save him. So they all come and they, none of them can help because they didn't create the snake. And then finally, as, as Ra was withering in pain, Isis whispers in his ear, tell me your secret name, the one that you hide in your belly, and I will cure you. And Ra, in so much pain, decides to do that. And he tells Isis his secret name. And she becomes one of the most powerful gods after after Ra, and and she heals him. Now, interesting enough, I mean, these, these myths are thousands and thousands of years old. And when you think about the, the, the sociology and the mindset be behind this, that there was great not only significance in a name, but there was actual power in a name. That, that if you found out somebody's name that, that, or a God's name, that you would actually derive and get some of their inner power from them. And this would have not been lost on Moses. And it kind of brings to light a whole different aspect of looking at, at the story of Moses when he comes to the burning bush. Because Moses, being a Jew, would have surely known the story of Lilith. But also, Moses being raised as Egyptian royalty and being educated would have surely known the story of Isis and Ra. And it's kind of interesting as you go back and you look at the encounter in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, that Moses... And his, and his interaction with God brings on new light. Verse 1, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. 
And he went deep into the wilderness near Sinai, the mountain of God. Suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared to him as a blazing fire in a bush. Moses was amazed because the bush was engulfed in flames, but it didn't burn up. Amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go over to see this. When the Lord saw that he had caught Moses' attention, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, God told him. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he hid his face in his hands because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, you can be sure I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries for deliverance for their harsh slave, from their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come to rescue them from the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt in their own good and spacious land. It is a land of flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Prezerites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites live. The cries of the people of Israel have reached me, and I have seen now how the Egyptians have oppressed them with heavy tasks. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You will lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Moses asked God, how can you expect me to lead the Israelites out of Egypt? And here we're going to start seeing that what Moses had been taught in his understanding of God is going to come out in, one of his, in his request. Then God told him, I will be with you. And this will serve as proof that I have sent you. When you have brought the Israelites out of Israel, is Egypt, you will return here to worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors have sent me to you, they won't believe me. They will ask, which God are you talking about? What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied, I am the one who always is. Just tell him, I am, has sent me to you. You see, here we, we have a clue in it, and something that, that is actually quite mind-blowing and, and really a turning point in the understanding who God is and how powerful he is. You see, Moses is asking him, what is your name? Why is he asking that? Because he doesn't feel that he can accomplish this God-sized task on his own. That surely his mind is going back to Lilith and, and Isis and saying, you know what, I need some of your power, God, to be able to do this. So what is your name? And God basically blows these two myths out of the water and just says, look, I am. This is me. And the power isn't in my name, but the power is in what I told you in verse 12. I will be with you. That the power is in me and that you are able to be a conduit of my love and my good deeds. 
that I have heard the suffering of, of my people. And I'm giving you the opportunity to be the person to go and help release them, to essentially be my tangible hand, to be my tangible feet, to be my mouthpiece. But Moses had all of this inward conflict that he didn't think that he was good enough or smart enough and people didn't like him, that he just was sitting there and he's like, I need more. I need some sort of special power. And then we see that God gives him a staff. And then he gives him Aaron to to come alongside him. But the truth is, Moses didn't need any of those things. Moses didn't need to know God's secret name. Moses didn't need to have a staff. Moses didn't need Aaron. Those things were given because of Moses' insecurities and shortcomings, not because of God's. It's so interesting as we approach God and we get God-shaped tasks in front of us that so often we, we sit there and we think, God, I need this and I need that. I don't have enough power in myself, which is true. You see, if we can accomplish anything on our own, then we're just accomplishing it. Why would God give us a task that he has to have no involvement in? That's limiting who he is. We're saying, God, you know what? I think that you're only big enough to be able to do this. And and guess what? You know, I'm going to do this for you because, you know, I don't want to bother you. And I'm going to, you know, me or a bunch of my friends or my church, we're going to, we're going to do this for you because obviously, this is what it's implying, obviously, you can't do it on your own. Or obviously, you're not powerful enough, or maybe you don't have the right interest, or maybe you're not thinking correctly, or, or something like that. And we sit there, and, and we almost insult God in how we approach Him, and the, and the mantles that, that we carry. You know, that's why I love... Un, the, the, the vision of, of unseen stories, <laughs> ending child trafficking in Benin. I don't know about you, but that's way beyond the scope of humans. That's a God-shaped vision. Or the Monroes going down and, and trying to, to bring social and and uh, peace and, and love to, to a very dark place and letting people know that, that God cares about them and loves them. That's a God-shaped goal. Or in the mobile food ministry and, and trying to end the cycle of poverty here in Tallahassee. These are God-sized things that, you know what, we can't do on our own. There's no possible way. That's how we know it's from God. That we as a community aren't coming to him and saying, God, look, we're going to do this and we're going to do it in your name. And it's not that big or anything. And it's you know, not that big of a deal. So we're just going to go ahead and do it. And we'll give you credit and, and, and it'll be all right. What are we doing when we do that? We're insulting the God of the universe. 
We think that God may be disinterested. It's kind of interesting that the people were in slavery. His people were in slavery. And God tells Moses, look, I've heard my people's cry. I understand the heavy burden. It just has not been the right time. But now is the time. And all you need is for me to be with you. But Moses says, no, I don't, I don't think so. I need more. God says, you know, you don't. But here you go anyway. But as we look at that and as we enter into this new series, his name is, I think that this understanding of, of names in this culture were so important that there is power in a name. And that's why the prophet Isaiah, when in verse 9 and, and 7, as we take these names for this series over the next few weeks, he wrote these things down that who Jesus was going to be. As a child has been born to us, God has given, us, given a son to us. He will be responsible for leading the people. His name will be, and the Hebrew translation of these names is Wonderful Counselor, Powerful God, Father who lives forever, Prince of Peace. And then in chapter 7, verse 14, goes on and says, All right, then the Lord himself will choose the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and we will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, these names that were given, that, that there are more than just arbitrary names of God, that they, they mean something, that they have great significance, that they have depth. There, there are almost promises or truths about God that we can hold on to in our life, that we know when we are hurting and we're conflicted inside that, that Jesus is a wonderful counselor, that when we think that everything is against us and everything is falling apart and our enemies are at the gate, we know that he is a powerful God, that we think that, you know, we look at the New York Times, you know, decades ago writing, God is dead. And this whole idea of like, God, where are you? We can't hear you that we know in his name that he is our father who lives forever. When our lives are conflicted and we have anxiety and, and adversity all around us, we know that that's not from God because he is the Prince of Peace. And then finally, that we're reminded by his name, Emmanuel. That the power is not in some magical formula. The power is not in some arbitrary putting together of syllables and letters. But the power is in God himself. And the power that we have is that he is with us. And he is in our midst. And I'm excited about the next several weeks as we really look at those names and what they mean for us and what does it mean as we try to sojourn through this very difficult life. And as we build and we move forward to Christmas Eve and we finally understand uh, the significance behind this na these names and what they mean for us, that as a people we stand up and we can truly say Emmanuel and truly understand that this is true, that God is with us.
pray with me? Dear God, so often we, our actions go against your nature, what you truly are. That like Moses, that we, we think that there might be some sort of special formula that that there's some power that we can harness so we can do it on our own. And God, we realize that you reject that. That you are the powerful one. That you, the power is with you being with us. God, forgive us for when we have our own visions for our life. That we will embrace the vision that you have for our life that we will follow it, that we will not look for peripheral things that will bring us some sort of uh, just comfort, but we will fully trust in you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>